Okay, everybody expects us to have an anime podcast. Michael Peters, Justin Charity, at long last, are they podcasting once again about anime? No. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. Honestly, this podcast might turn out to be like the Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence movie Life, except neither of us is in prison, and in fact, we're not even taping in the same location. But we will be talking a lot about the millennial life. You know, music, video games, strange stuff from the dark corners of the internet that piques our interest. People think this is going to be, oh, a little topic A, oh, what's topic B, oh, a little, you know, chit-chat. No, every time you tune into this podcast, we are going to lock you into a room for 45 minutes, and we are going to do criticism. We are going to get to the bottom of every Scooby-Doo mystery that the discourse produces for us each week. Mark my words. Man, that was that was a lot. But anyway, we are excited about it. We are excited. We're excited. We're super excited. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. And this is Sound Only. We're back on August 11th. Catch us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Let's go. I was at a community meet Sunday in West Baltimore. People were spitting mad, and I can't say I blame them. Well, they could move to a better neighborhood. I got a real case to bring in. A fellow named Stringer Bell, you might have heard of him. Game the same, just got more fierce. If you stay on this corner, you're going in a waste. Still out there, Lester. He's got his corners, his money. Fuck it, by now, for all you know, he's got all that downtown real estate. Motherfucker probably owns half Baltimore without us even knowing it. We're coming back tomorrow, and when we do, everybody wears bracelets. Run for mayor. <laughs> we got a request a while ago, man, that we should start the wire episodes with the opening quote that they use mm. in the wire. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, that's an interesting suggestion. Uh, I'm not opposed to it. Um, but the opening quote for this particular episode, episode four, season three, Amsterdam or Hamsterdam. Because <laughs> uh, I, I think there is some different titling that has gone on. Uh, uh, some folks have told me that it, originally when it came out, of course, it was called Amsterdam, but HBO later changed it in the guide or when you in on demand world that it says Hamsterdam now. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, y'all tell me if that's true, because we know that y'all are on it. But that is what I've heard. But nevertheless, uh, the quote from Fruit that started, that is the the banner quote for this episode, which is why you got to go and fuck with the program. <laughs> and there was a whole lot of that going around in this particular episode is that you see some bubbling frustrations, but you see a whole lot of people fucking with the program, including the character we will take a deep dive into a little bit later, Bunny Colvin, who is fucking with the program in a major way. You mm-hmm. see McNulty fucking with the program. Mm-hmm. Um, some degree, the program fucking with him because his usual program, he still is out of sorts. You know, right. he, ha- he has a case. He's self-righteous McNulty, but he, uh, you know, he's still not quite himself. Uh, he is uh, a phrase that I think Avon would later use on Stringer. He is definitely a man without a country right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is related to the lack of ladies in his life to some degree or the familiar ladies. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you see, uh, you see a whole lot of program fucking with, uh, in this episode, which was one of my takeaways. What about, 
What struck you about this particular episode? I it's basically the same takeaway. I use a little different verbiage. I have, you know, change sucks. Um, and I think everybody in this That's episode, a succinct way to put this, <laughs> right, is trying to figure it out. You have Cuddy trying to make peace with change. Right, he's coming home. He wants to go the straight and narrow route. He's seeing that which is a change for him is incredibly difficult having problems with it. Obviously, you see it with McNulty. You see the block, the kids on the block trying to come to terms with a new idea, which is that there's actually a place where they can sell their dope without getting harshed. Do they believe that? Is that something they're going to go along with? The police are having to drag them towards change. You see, Bunny dealing with all that it takes to change that same dynamic, but also looking at change in his own life. There's a scene in this particular episode where Bunny is looking at a job that he might take now that he is no longer going to be a major in the Baltimore Police Department, and it doesn't give him the same feel. There's a different rhythm. There's a different texture to what he's doing right now. The guy says he has to go tinkle, and Bunny's like, nah, he's got to go take a piss. Bunny doesn't want to be in the tinkle world. He wants to be in a piss world. You know what I mean? Where he, with the world he lives in, guys piss. He doesn't want to have they to don't ever tinkle. be in, They don't <laughs> tinkle. He doesn't want to be in tinkle land. Um, and so and we also see, you know, Carcetti in this episode, a defining moment in his career. He is pushing forth change that people around him don't believe is possible when he announces that he is going to try to become uh, a white mayor of Baltimore. Um, so all of those things, this this is the one we're getting towards the point where this season really picks up. I think this is the first episode where it happens. And we see people starting to mess with the preconceived notion of things or the status quo of things. And that, blow that blowback has to do with people making choices. And that's my main takeaway from this particular um, episode. You know, it's interesting because there there is a certain pattern that happens in The Wire is that whenever people start fucking with st the status quo, that's when everything goes to shit. Right. Everything goes to shit when they start messing with the order of things. You see it in the, the cops world. You see it in the drug game. And, uh, especially, I mean, it, it was perfectly, I think, characterized by the great philosopher Slim Charles, uh, who I think has one of the best lines of this entire season that is in this episode. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, messing up the natural order of things while there's a certain amount of disruption that's required for actual change. But you do see even when you're trying to disrupt things in a good way that it winds up still having the kind of impact and effect as if you had done it in a bad way. So. Right. Um, very interesting to watch in this one. Um, all right, now for the recap of what goes down. Uh, Bunny, our our man, he lays out the plan for Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he lays it out. All that scouting. You wonder why he was looking at the different locations. Well, he has laid out what he plans to do, which is to legalize drug in very specific um, zones in the city so he could contain this problem because he realizes the police are just ineffective with what they're trying right now. McNulty and Kima find out about Marlo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bubs 
the Tony Stark of snitches, as Van appropriately calls him. Of course. Yeah. Like, you realize they wouldn't solve a single fucking case without bubs. Like, really, really be honest with you. We ranked the detectives, I think, before. We talked about who is the best. Really, it goes Freeman, then Bubs. Right, before McNulty. <laughs> yeah, before McNulty. Bubs brought them, Bubs brought them the whole case, the entire yeah, case. They had he nothing. Did. They so, had n- not a thing. And he, he right. bought that. And wait, the thing about Bubs is he doesn't just get you information. He gives you something uh, that you can, like he gave them uh, Marlowe's license plate. You know what right. I'm saying? Like he wasn't just giving you a name. Right? No, right. he's like, no, I got the license plate for you. Right, which they were then able to pull up every single aspect of Stansfield's character that they needed to, a picture as well. Right. It's like it, it, the only pool that's close to that is the poster pool from the first season that Freeman gives, right? So it's really the same thing. Bubs is the Freeman of the crackheads or <laughs> Bubs is the, the heroin of the of the heroin yeah, addicts. Yeah, the heroin addicts, man. Man, I, I'm so ashamed of this, but it's so true. Like Bubs has a better uh, memory high than I have somewhere. Like it's completely true. clean. <laughs> like his memory is so good. Like you, honestly, man, you could say, I give you a million dollars right now. What's your license plate? I promise you, I don't know my own license plate. No, I have no clue. Yeah, I have no idea. Zero clue. I don't even know what it starts with. <laughs> like I, I can't even tell you. Ah, I wonder yeah. if I know. I don't think I do. I think I don't think I know either. And I, and the the more frustrating thing is, I don't think I could remember if I really tried at this point. Like I, my like my brain is shot. Like it, I'm glad that I have all these numbers programmed in my phone because it's done. It's turned to mush. I've replaced all of that stuff that I'm supposed to know, functional stuff with like Star Wars and. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> all of that type of shit. The it's most like, unimportant like, shit I have right. as, <laughs> as that is in my brain, right? I could right. literally give you an entire list of every Marvel movie. Right. Of like but, every, but license plate, something I actually need to function as a human being. Couldn't tell you. Don't and, know. And it, it make, what makes matters worse is that uh, because I've, I've switched over all my stuff to having a California license and, uh, and the... Um, you know, getting the, the plate and everything. I really, I truly do not know what it starts with now because it's too many letters. It's like, a lot of letters. It's a lot of letters. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a lot. So, God bless Bubs for remembering exactly. off the top of his head what Marlo's license plate was. Mm-hmm. All right, so we have them finding out about Marlo, the ghost of D'Angelo haunting Stringer Bell, who is now yes, being yes. tailed ever so vigilantly by the boisterous, Jimmy McNulty. Um, mm-hmm. The detail is really out of sorts. You know, it, it's such an irony because they finally have the unit together. You know, they started off this season way better than they had previous seasons where they were kind of throwing shit together at the last minute, and yet they have nothing. They're chasing a case mm-hmm. that seems to be pointless in Kentel Williams. They took a massive L with what happened with Cheese. Uh, despite the fact that they're a tested unit, they don't know what the fuck they're doing right now. They are pretty aimless, uh, and that's kind of exposed in this episode. Uh, Thomas J. Carchetti verbalizes, and we it's everything's been leading into this point. He is running for mayor. He is a mm. he's like he's gonna do it. Um, he is going to try to make some kind of history by being the white mayor of Baltimore. So <laughs> Mayor Royce, look out. Uh, and uh, Lester and McNulty, a scene I have a feeling we will dive into uh, later. 
they uh, were at odds a bit in this. And I have a great, speaking of Marvel, I have a great Marvel comparison to, to this. It, oh, interesting. I do. I do. Um, but for now, uh, with no further ado, we will dive into Mr. Bunny Coven. Mm. So uh, what do you got to say about Bunny? One of my favorite characters ever in this series. Love Bunny. Bunny is everybody's worst nightmare. And we talk about this so much, not just in life, but on this show. Bunny is everybody's worst, worst nightmare, right? The worst nightmare is that, like, I hear ladies sometimes talk about this. Um, ladies talk about guys that waste their time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so ladies, talk, ladies will talk about the fact that they'll, they'll get with a guy and, like, why put me through all of this? If we're not going to get to the finish line, if one day I'm going to wake up and have to start all over again and realize that uh, all the time and the effort that I put in was for nothing. Why waste my time? It's like the unforgivable sin. Like, why lead me down the primrose path? Right Uh, now, uh, Bunny is one of those people who is waking up one day, realizing that all the work that he's done is for nothing. He's been there for 30 years and hasn't made a dent in a problem that he obviously cares about. Now, there's two ways to look at this. One way to look at this before Bunny gets into the hamster Sam thing, which takes off this episode, is that Bunny is giving up on the war on drugs. That's one way that you could look at it. He is waving the white flag. He's telling people that, you know what, we can't stop him so we can contain him. All right, that's one way to look at it. If you know anything about the war on drugs, you know that that's actually wrong. What Bunny is doing now is actually trying to win because the war that we should be fighting in societies isn't on drugs or on poverty or on anything. The war that we should be fighting is on harm. How can we limit the amount of harm that is happening in our communities? And one way to do that is to stop inflicting harm on behalf of the state. So... In in Bunny's situation, he's saying, hey, what I'm going to try to do is make the streets that I can control as safe as possible by letting people who are going to do whatever they're going to do, do it in a place where they can inflict the least amount of harm on people who don't want to be involved. That, to me, not only takes balls, but it takes a tremendous amount of exasperation, right, for you to have looked in, around, and through a system that you have been a part of, that you have risen to the top of, and then went, this ain't going to work, okay? And it takes somebody who, being honest, has to be just enough of a narcissist to believe that they should have made a difference. Mm. Like, you have to be even a little bit of a narcissist to believe that you being someplace should have made a difference in a city of X amount of millions of people with problems that are generational, systemic, and cyclical. So when I look at Bunny Colvin, all the frustration that I see, I see it driven by a man who actually is one of the few cops in the show that really, really cares about what he sees around him. There's nobody that he's trying to beat. He's actually just wants to believe that he... uh, can make a difference, but he also is 
has enough self-importance to believe that he should have made a difference. So it's a very interesting character to me, and it's very interesting to watch him put everything on the line to do this in this unconventional way, in a way that he knows is unethical, knows is illegal, and knows that at some point the rest of his cops are not going to be down for it. Bunny, to me, is aspirational because mm-hmm. when you think about it, uh, whatever is your life's work and wherever you've worked um, before, whether it be one year, 10 years, or in his case, you've done, you've done some time up on the job. Yeah, man. You all imagine that there is this point where you're just going to get fed the fuck up and you're just going to buck convention, you're going to buck authority, and you're just going to fix problems that usually, especially if you work in corporate America or especially if you work within the system, you like to think that at some point you're going to attempt to actually solve a problem that you know they have really no real intention on fixing, right? And so he becomes very much the conscience and the soul of the police department because... As you said, he has realized that this war on drugs is like a complete farce. It's mm-hmm. a fallacy. You know, it, it is. It was really just a war on a, on vulnerable communities. That was the right. war on drugs. It had no intention of ever solving the actual problem. It was just a way for police departments to get a bunch of funding, to get some really cool military toys out of it. Because um, at the end of the day, the real work that needed to be done to solve the drug problem in America would have slowed or stopped or not, maybe not stopped, but it would have impacted our economy. Let's just say this. Okay. So there was a lot to that. And so at his level, when you make that decision that you're going to do something as crazy on the outside um, as he's proposing to do that, he has just reached that point. I think we all aspire to reach even in jobs that we love is where, when, when am I going to take my stand? When is going to be, when is that moment where I'm going to say, you know what, fuck the dumb shit. We just got to do it this way and I'll live with whatever happens. And that's the other thing that is so unique and so um, honestly uh, inspirational about his character is he was able to approach it the way that he was because he didn't care about the consequences. When you have a conscience and you don't care about the consequences, that is that can sometimes be a really beautiful combination. Bunny has a lot of heart. He has a lot of resolve. And he's also very trusted. You know, it's, it's uh, the, I mean, we'll get to the rest of the file this way for later. Um, but when it comes to, you know, uh, the boss uh, or we've talked to a lot in these first couple of seasons about who are the best bosses. And we we both had high praise for Daniels. Mm-hmm. Bunny is who Daniels wants to be. Mm. And it, Daniels at times is Bunny. At mm. times he is because he is about the job. But see, he still cares about what people think. He still cares about politically, you know, having the right kind of connections, greasing the right palms, uh, kissing up to the right ass. There's a part of Daniels that's never it's never that's never going to be lost in him. Because mm-hmm. he, he wants to climb up the ladder in the department. It's still important to him. Bunny has reached that point where he don't care about any of that. Mm-hmm. And he's going to operate accordingly. And he realizes the only way he can ever make any kind of dent or impact in this drug game um, or in the streets whatsoever is that he's got to do something that only leads to him being fired. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know if Daniels will ever have an epiphany quite like that. He's on, he'll draw, he'll color outside the lines a little bit, but Bunny on some new shit. <laughs> all right? Yeah. He on some different shit, all right? Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he, he coming on some Marcus Garvey, like, you know what the plan is? We are going back to Africa. That's the plan. <laughs> so, right. mm-hmm. so he's on a, a different wavelength. And for that, I think um, for his his character being so aspirational and built like that, um, it's a unique positioning in The Wire because, you know, McNulty, he has his tears of self-righteousness. He cares to some degree about justice, but he mostly, as I've said repeatedly, cares about winning. But he's not trying to win anything. He's actually trying to make a sincere difference. That is the only motivation he has. And it's just not that many characters in The Wire where that is their single motivation. It's usually something that is altruistic wrapped up in some personal shit. And that's not Bunny Colvin. Right. It's very true. Very interesting the comparison between Bunny and Daniels. I think of a conversation I had once with a friend of mine who, like, my mom was continuously trying to get him to go to church. I remember I asked him, I was like, yo, why don't you just go? Like, you don't even know God. Um, Why don't you just go? And he goes, well... I'm afraid that if I know God and if I meet God, that I won't believe in him. And I was like, ugh. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I was like, I was like, eee. <laughs> and I and I and I think um I think that uh I, I never forgot that. I think that that's kind of the difference between Daniels and and uh and Bunny is that Daniels still believes in the system. Like Daniel, Daniels participates in that system because That's he thinks that true. it works. He he believes in it, right? He believes in chain of command. He believes in all of those things. He believes that in that system, there's some kind of way, there's a God that he believes in. Daniel, a bunny has met that God and no longer believes in him. So bunny has gone to the top. Bunny's been to places where Daniels hasn't. He's commanded um, an entire district. Uh, he's, been the guy, you know, remember we watch in this season sh- them take Bunny Colvin's belief from him. We watch them decimate his colleagues, right? And sort of eviscerate them in front of everyone. We see that happens and we see Bunny look at that like, this isn't helping anybody. Although if you think about it, it the erosion of his belief in the system Kind of started before then, when the, when the little boy died, right uh, during the shootout with Bodie and the rival mm-hmm. crew, is that that's when you saw that. Then he was just like everything I'm doing. It was the realization on his face that everything that he was doing wasn't making a dent in the real problem. Right, and so then we continuously see them pull at it. Right, then the juking of the stats. He watches a police. He watches a police department, a system that is supposed to be working, cheat, cheat to lie about the harm that's actually being done to people's lives. And that further takes him away from any type of, uh, of, of sort of, I guess, personal belief in the fact that what he's doing could actually work. And then he gets to a point to where right before he goes to that community meeting and he listens to real people talk about real problems, and he hears the platitudes from other people whose job it is to make those people feel like things are going to get better. When your job is only to make promises and not to deliver, those promises come along with all kinds of 
you know, societal and financial rewards. And at that point, that seemed like a breaking point. Even though he was already doing what he was doing, it seemed like a breaking point. He gets up there and tells the people, listen, I can't tell you it's going to get better. I can't tell you what we need to do to make it better. You know what I mean? Um, well, I, but- the, 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 to me, the line of that that really struck me was when he said, you know, he admitted that he didn't know, which in those kind of forums, you rarely hear authority figures admit to what they don't know, which mm-hmm. they don't realize that's often the first step to actually figuring out what it is that needs to be done. But what he said after that was really telling. He said, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it can't be a lie. Because right. he realizes that what they have been doing is just a lie. So yeah. whatever he, I mean, he already knows. I mean, we know that he knows at that point that um, he knows what he wants to do. He's just mm-hmm. not ready to speak it into it. And he can't. But as he said, it's not going to be a lie. And what he was proposing was definitely not that. And definitely wasn't. And he went along with something that, you know, is what the truth normally is. Hard and revolutionary. There's almost nothing in the world more revolutionary, especially when you get to this level. You, you know it, I know it. The truth is revolutionary. It is, it's the most revolutionary thing that you can do is to tell the truth. You're talking to two, you're, you're listening to two people right now who really kind of got popping from saying just true things. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so odd how that works. You're like... So you like me more because I told the truth. Right, okay. Right, right. Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> right, right. And so, like, um, you know, and I, we both did a lot of work before those things. But I'm just saying, it's like, right. you know, it, it's it's a it's a whole deal. So I think Colvin just got to the point, to be honest with you, and that was a a, a a great recollection on your part, to where he wants some truth and he wants to be operating and working inside that. Um, and I, Amsterdam, Amsterdam is the best way for him to get to that to to, to that end. We can all relate to Bunny because a lot of us have been in situations early in our career, maybe even currently in our career, where you're working for people that are stupid. And you, you know they're stupider <laughs> than you. And you're just like, which is for a, for a person who fashions themselves as having any kind of intellect or, and by intellect, I don't mean like book smarts or like degrees or anything, but when you know you have more common sense than the people that are above you, that's a frustrating, like, fucked up experience because right. you know you're never going to get shit accomplished. And mm-hmm. he realizes that he is working with people and working under people like Rawls, um, like Burrell, who really um, are stupider than him. Right. One, and that combination of stupidity with unabashed ambition is just such a dangerous cocktail to where the point is... He understands as somebody in his role, he is hired to be fired. And as pessimistic as that may sound, it's actually a freeing experience. Like when you realize like, okay, ultimately I'm going to lose this job anyway. I used to say this all the time about television. Um, And people were, people are often surprised when I tell them, I don't need to be on TV every day. Like that's never been something I have felt like I needed to validate me. I'm not at all judging people who feel that way. But when I left Mm -hmm. SportsCenter, people were surprised that I didn't immediately jump back in it. And I was like, well, that's because it only meant so much to me. And I realized how fickle it is. And so when you have that mentality about be it your job or something that you do, it's not that you don't have, you lack any passion for it. It's that when you understand that it's fleeting, it makes you more unapologetic when you actually do it. Because you're like, fucking, I'm gonna lose this shit anyway. So why am I gonna waste my time doing this 
the way that somebody else wants me to do it. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this and get fired on my own volition. Okay. Right. Cause it's something right. I did. Right. 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 <laughs> like right. not when, because following somebody else. Yeah. When you trigger me to trigger me, I couldn't agree more. Like when you, when I, when I get triggered, when you trigger me, when you get me out of here, just make sure I'm not holding somebody else's water. That I'm not a middle management lackey. Like I'm if when I go out, I'm going out on my shield. And that's right. Anybody that can hear my voice, that's what you're getting if you fuck with me. I'm going out on my shield, man. A thousand percent. Oh my God. You you have to. So Bunny has mm-hmm. made that decision. He has mm-hmm. decided, you know what? I'm going out anyway. Let me just go out the way that I want to go out. Right. right? I'm not gonna go out kissing a bunch of ass, juking the stats. Lying to these uh these good citizens in these pointless ass community hearings about doing something about crime when I know ain't shit to be done about this. Exactly. <laughs> right? He's like, yeah. I'm not going out like that. And for that, right. Bunny has my unconditional respect from uh not just this point, but just the rest of the series, because this is only as much as he's evolved right in front of us up to this point, this is only the starting point of mm-hmm. his ev- evolution. Cause he get way more real in the next season. So yep. it's like never stops trying to make a difference. No, he doesn't. Never. Yep. No, he doesn't stop trying to make a difference in a real way. And that's always the root of his actions, which I think makes him one of the purest candidates or purest characters rather um, on this show. So that's Buddy Colvin who I have a feeling, uh, especially in season four, we'll probably do a deep dive again, again, deep dive on him again when he, his character takes another turn. But, you know, right now he is the complete soul and conscious of his uh, of this department. And, you know, as as just something to look for, look for the influence that he has on young Mr. Carver. I think mm-hmm. yeah, that is that to me is one of the more surprising developments to note when you look at all the people that Bunny is able to touch in these, um, you know, in the, in this uh, particular season. Isn't it interesting how Carve is just looking for a dad? Is that what you think this is about? I, I don't know. Carve always. He seems very lost. Yes. Carve starts with Daniels and then it's like, not Daniels. Yeah. It's Burrell. Right. And then if it's not Burrell, it's Bunny Colvin. And it makes a lot of sense. If you think about a situation that Carve gets into later on. Carve, wants somebody above him to care about him. He wants to believe in someone. It's an interesting situation with Carver, man. Great. Yeah, and then he kind of makes a turn too. And maybe this is somebody we should also put on the on the slate as to do a deep dive later because of the turn his character makes is that he's always, you're right, he's always looking for mentorship. Mm -hmm. And he's always, whether he knows it or not, he's always kind of looking to mentor. It's same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's kind of He's he's is in both directions where he's not just looking to be led, but he's also looking to lead, which is a surprising characteristics for somebody who every breath they commit police brutality. Very right. surprising. But mm-hmm. yet yet there's a heart in there somewhere. Uh, now let's go over some of the best scenes from this episode. Um, I have a feeling we probably have both have the same best scene, but go ahead. I'll give you the first crack at it and we'll see. I'll be honest with you. This was a hard one for me to choose best scene. It was. Um, okay. These are the, all the ones I put out. I'm just going to put them out there uh, all at the beginning. So Freeman and McNulty, mm-hmm. uh, their, their little their, their little That was off. my best scene of this okay. episode. Um, that's, that, that's, I have that one in the number one slot, but 
I don't know if I if it, that's because I had it there, but that's 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 one. Bubbles when he hits the street mm-hmm. doing his Dark Knight detective work. Um, <laughs> so Bubbles but, is now Batman and Tony Stark. Bubbles and bu- Bubbles, Batman and Tony Stark, because Batman and Tony Stark are really the same character. But uh, the scene between Cuddy and the guy who is his boss at the lawnmower place. Yes. At the lawnmower thing. The hard lesson that he kind of learns sort of a- about that and how tough it's going to be to be on the straight and narrow. Amazing scene. Um, Bunny, when he confronts the new life that he's going to have to lead as a member of the Johns Hopkins security team, love that scene. Uh, <laughs> um, Carcetti with his pals, when he announces that he's running for mayor, you first kind of get a glimpse into that whole Bill Clinton-esque thing uh, with, with Carcetti sitting around. His guys are talking shit about black people. Carcetti's there, steps up talks about the average working black person in Baltimore and what he feels like they need. There are no cameras around. It's not It's not performative at all. You see that Carcetti actually cares a little bit. Uh, and just for fun, the love triangle. The lust yes. triangle. <laughs> yes. I, I figured you had to hit on that. The awkwardness of Daniels and, uh, and, and McNulty having to have a discussion about, and this is to borrow a phrase I heard from Joe Button, which I fucking love on Love and Hip Hop, to discuss old work. <laughs> old work, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, that scene, but if I'm being honest with myself, the best scene, it probably is, and I'm sure you'll get into it right now, the uh, the near brawl between Jimmy McNulty and Lester Freeman. So you know what this brawl reminded me of? And I said to everybody at the top of the podcast, I had a good marvel. This is Captain Captain America and Tony Stark. That's what this is. is. Okay. That's exactly what this is, right? Mm-hmm. Is, you know, Tony Stark always felt like that um, their, their whole beef, what, what was the whole genesis of Civil War and really everything that played out in the Avengers after that was because Tony Stark felt like they needed structure, that they mm-hmm. needed policing, that the Avengers needed to be held accountable, that they could not often be left to their own devices. Um, and that they had a certain amount of loyalty that they should have for the government, for putting them in the position that they were in. And that's how Lester Freeman feels about McNulty. He's like, and he lays it out. I think it's a compelling case. He's just like, look, you know, yeah. I mean, he basically was saying, yeah, we know Daniels could be a little bit of a bootlicker. You know, mm-hmm. however, that being said, the good outweighs the bad. And at the very least, considering he got your ass off that boat, you owe him more loyalty. I know this ain't a case you want to work. You know it's a dead end. You know it's just something to show the higher-ups that y'all are moving in some kind of direction. You know what it is. But you got to take this L because of what he's done for you. And it's a philosophy difference, right? And McNulty is like, you know, he said Daniels, I think he said it. He, uh, he said he's a boss. Fuck the boss. Like, he's mm-hmm. not even looking at Daniels as a person. He's right. just like, he just represents them. And that's pretty much how Captain America looked at the government beyond the idea of checks and balances. He like, none of these motherfuckers can be trusted. That was Cap's yeah. whole position from day one. He, he, he said it. The safest hands are still our own. Exactly. Like, we don't mm-hmm. need no help, right? And so right. Tony Stark thought that they did. And so, therefore, that gave us arguably some... I mean, Civil War was basically an Avengers movie. Like, it, sure. To, yeah, to even count it in the Captain you know, America uh, slate of movies is a little bit unfair because that was pretty much an Avengers movies. But I get it, you know, either way. And I think... It's a Captain America movie. It's a, well, it's a Captain America movie, but it, it's an Avengers movie, though. <laughs> it's an Avengers but, movie. 
Van Lathan sidebar. I call Van Lathan sidebar. I love it. It's a Captain America movie. The driving plot of Avengers Civil War is the interpersonal relationship between Cap and Bucky. Yes. So is there's a singular thing that keeps it going, you know? So I, 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 you've triggered me. I'm triggered. And you just triggered me because you want to dis, what you want to do. See, I know what you're doing. What you want to do is you want to find some way to not have to admit what everyone has to admit, which is that Captain America has by far the three best solo movies in Marvel. It's not even close. Um, so, solo franchise. That's right. That's right. Solo franchise. Oh, that's because it's not. It's not Iron Man for sure. After one, you could just Man. forget about the next two. You don't like Iron Man three, dude. Who the fuck likes Iron Man? Iron Man three is like a, that. That's an embarrassment to that series, man. Iron Man three Iron is Man terrible. Iron Man three is fucking great, man. It's terrible. I have a question for you. Getting back to the wire. Now, what eventually happened in the Civil War is that Cap and Iron Man fought. Now, in the comic book, the uh, Iron Man technology inside of the suit was able to effectively model Cap's fighting style and Tony Stark beat the dog shit (laughs) out of Captain America. Because the suit is predicting what they did a little bit in the movie. The suit is predicting what he's doing and he just beat the hell out of him. But in the movie, Cap basically wins the fight. Right. If Freeman and McNulty would have actually come to blows in major crimes, Ooh. Who, who do you think wins? First of all, this is closer than people think. Because I know they're probably <laughs> looking at I know they're looking at the that the the age difference and saying, come on, man, you gotta go with McNulty, right? Right. But McNulty, even though McNulty is a finesse kind of guy, right? Like I can't really imagine McNulty having roughed up too many people during his time as a police officer. Like, he's a smooth talker. He's smart. You know, like, I, I just, he just looked like the type of dude that can't really bust a, uh, you know, he can't bust a, a grape with a hammer, as they say. Right? Mm-hmm. I feel like Freeman, and granted, granted, this is the benefit of him being 875, is that I feel like Freeman at some point probably put his hands on some people. Yeah. He bust, he, he bust Bird in the head with the bottle in the first season. He did. He did do that. And on, on top of that, you know, he's just the type of person to have what they call that old man strength. Yeah. And so I'm a, I'm going to give, if this were Vegas eyes, I, I think Freeman would be favored. I would put 20 on Freeman. Man, Freeman will bust McNulty ass. <laughs> well, Freeman, like, well, we know, first of all, it's, it's hints. Freeman knew the boxing guys, right? Oh, really that is well. true. So maybe he in the past was He a might boxer. have hands. Freeman also called them draft dodgers. Oh, when they were so talking he done about, been to war. He'd been in the service before. Oh, so yeah. Fr- so Freeman probably been trained. I think Freeman will bust McNulty ass. I'm just saying. I was thinking that whole scene. Every time I watch it, even though I know how it's going to happen, it's just where my weird brain works. It's like, McNulty, don't do it. Don't do it. You're like, don't swing on this dude. Don't swing on this dude, McNulty. You're about to get handled. But yeah, I think McNulty would have lost that fight. So uh, speaking of who won, the bigger question um, I have for you is who do you think was right? It's mm, a good question. Um, I think I think Freeman had the right idea and McNulty had the right target. I think that uh, McNulty 
is correct in wanting to continue to chase down Stringer. He's chasing down the guy that he believes is having the most impact and he's doing the unfinished business. He's trying to finish the unfinished business, should I say, that went on there in West Baltimore. I think that it's obvious that there's more there there in Stringer um, than there is in this Kentel Williamson guy who we really never hear from. This is another. But I think that Freeman, in looking at sort of the way Daniels has operated and what Daniels has done, how Daniels has gone to bat for the people in his unit, Freeman probably is writer because at some point, and we 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 all know this about McNulty. It just can't be all about you, dog. Right. It just can't. Yeah. And then you know, I mean, the the uncomfortable collateral damage in all of this is Kima, who mm-hmm. really respects uh, Lester a lot, mm-hmm. and it bothers her that she's being seen as a traitor, and not just respects Lester, she respects Daniels. You know, Daniels Dan- is her guy. Daniels is her guy, and now she's gonna kind of do them both dirty. Mm-hmm. By continuing to go down this rabbit hole, uh, granted it's one that that is fruitful with McNulty. I mean, there is such thing as doing the right thing the wrong way, and that is pretty much what's happening with McNulty. Like right. philosophically, they're both right mm-hmm. because uh, I think you know Freeman is correct. Like uh, he owes Daniels more than to just disrespect him right in front of his office. He owes him more than that, right. and. Um, you know, for him to just do it so brazenly and without second thought. I think that's the part that started to ir- irritate me about McNulty. It's like this wasn't something that he was conflicted about because his default position is to be an annoyance, is to mm-hmm. wind up saying, what the fuck did I do? His right. catchphrase, yeah. right? Because yep. he is an agitator. That's what he does. You mm-hmm. know you're getting a great cop, but you also know you're getting somebody that you're going to probably want to strangle. Yeah. Um, as well, which is how he started this entire series. Is like he was that dude, um, mm-hmm. but when he's at his best, there's nothing like him. Um, so all those things, I I agree uh, with you on the other one. I would probably say is the one when uh, Slim Charles and Cuddy are in as Cuddy has gotten back in on street life because you know um, it, it was in a way not surprising. I mean you. You live the life that he lived. You do as much jail time as he did. And you find out that, uh, you know, it's kind of like I would imagine that if you're somebody who has gone through a period of sobriety after having a, 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 a some kind of substance abuse problem, you find out that dealing with real shit in real time is hard. And mm-hmm. he's dealing, you know, he's been, even though he's been in jail for a long time, the fact is his life was suspended to some degree. He didn't have to deal right. with having to reintegrate himself into society and having to prove people what he's not over and over again and have to do this really tough shit. But now that he's got to go through it and that involves some backbreaking work and sweating and not getting a whole lot out of it. Now he's like, mm, streets don't sound so bad. So him and Slim Charles, they in the back um, and they're about to get some work in. And he was like, you know, the uh, when Slim Charles lets him know the game ain't changed. He's like, the game's the same, just got more fierce. More fierce. As usual, man, y'all fools are missing my point. That boy came up short on that money last week, and y'all see y'all here grinding. So where that money at? You need to look beyond what he driving and wearing on his back. 
That boy got a girlfriend. He went with this little freak up at the high school. She wearing ice? She wearing an onion. <laughs> That's about all I can remember. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yo, check out the girl. High school girl with platinum around her neck. Only one place it came from. Give my man this thing. Sig Sour. That ain't no Larkin, dog. I'm used to revolvers, man. 38 don't jam. Don't hold 15, neither. Game done changed. Game the same. Just got more fits. Yeah. Like, Slip Charles. Again, somebody, high PER. High PER, Slim Charles. High PER, yep. All the time. Always mm-hmm. dropping nuggets. Um, so that was that was definitely one of um, my uh, favorite scenes. I know we haven't done this at, at, in a while, speaking of Cuddy, but this did pop into my mind. And Van, I'm going to lean on your expertise here. Okay. Now, you may not have any expertise in this area, but I feel like between the two of us, you would definitely, you would be the one to have the expertise if the expertise were to be had. Okay. Um, We love this show, but, but is a whole house really that live? Like, I, is that really, is that how it goes down? I mean, you got people, ba- you know, they having sex in the hallway. My man just ass naked in the hallway with some Timberlands on, just going to town. I mean, it, is it really like that? Okay. So, I've never actually been to a proper brothel before. Okay. Uh, that's an improper brothel. That, that is definitely a whole house. I mean, that's, I, a, whole, I that's a whole house. That's, that's a, a whole house. house. All right. I, I've never been, but um, I've heard that there are certain ones that when you're tapped in, that is pretty live. Okay. I've heard about a certain place in Atlanta. I'm not going to tell Why you. Why am told. I not shocked <laughs> that this is in Atlanta? Atlanta is about to derail is the taping of this podcast. They're about to derail the whole NBA over some wings in some Magic wings. City. Wings at Magic City. But the wings um, is like that, though. I understood. They crazy. But I've heard about a certain place in Atlanta where, you know, the scene where Cuddy sees uh, the couple and they're having the couple as if they're in love. Right, right. The two people and they're having sex. And I've heard about a place where a friend of mine saw something just like that. All right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I've never been. But from my understanding, it can get pretty live. Now, we're not just talking about your Robert Kraft handjob house here, where things have to be discreet until it gets popping. We're not talking about the San Fernando Valley here. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about everybody inside knows what's going on. I, as far as, because when I see that scene, I see the different colors. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I think to myself, you know, who really does the decor and the color scheme for the whole house? Do they have a lighting guy that, like, comes in and lights different? You know what I'm saying? But I don't know. I don't know. But I, every time I see that scene, that's the only, because that's a little eyes wide shut-esque. Yeah, it seems kind of sophisticated. A little bit. A little, a little bit, even though it's in, you know, like a trap house type of place. It seems a little, sure. so, it seems a little sophisticated. And then the other thing, I was like, do... Women in this in in sex work do they openly kiss dudes on the mouth the way that Cuddy got? Depends on how much money you got. You know, what I mean? so <laughs> is that what it is? What, okay, because I was what, like, what, I, I thought kissing wasn't a thing. What it depends on what you're into. I've heard, uh, but <laughs> but um, also like like also though, the only thing that's interesting about that is she didn't ask or. She just came up to him and kissed him 
and it was like, and it was that wasn't just a kiss. That was a deep kiss. Yes, you, you would have thought was. that maybe she, that she's been waiting for Cuddy for fourteen years, correct, or something like that with the way that they kiss. So like, yeah, that, he that, used to be her old work. <laughs> yeah, that scene could be that scene could. That scene could be in the we love this show but territory. I yeah. understand how you could say that. Show. I did just just was a thought that occurred to me, and in, and in case people didn't recognize it, that's also one of the opening scenes for this season's theme of the wire. Like that that little in the whole house montage is part of the montage um, mm. in the in the opening uh, theme song of the show. Um, now, in terms of what age the best, my favorite what age the best in this entire episode. It happened in the beginning when uh, Bubs was with McNulty and Kima and we get a window into who Bubs used to be. Like we get snippets mm-hmm. of Bubs and what Bubs was like pre-heroin, pre-addiction. And he talked about, uh, as he called himself, a born fuck up. However, as he's explaining, he is eating something that's undefeated. And that would be McDonald's hash browns. Undefeated. Like, yeah. Burger King has tried. Other other entities in the fast food arena have tried. Nobody's beaten McDonald's. It's undefeated. Yeah, it was uh, circa 2005, 2002. Had to be. That was not 2005. I had a brief dalliance with the Burger King hash brown because they had the little nuggets, you yeah. know, little hash brown. They, they were, because they, were, they were bite-sized that made it attractive. Oh, it made it attractive. Yeah. You, you crunch them. And then um, one morning, they brought hash browns to Best Buy. I don't know why they did it. But a friend of mine took two hash browns, McDonald's hash browns, and put them on the outside of the sausage meat. (gasps) Revolutionary. I almost want to cry now. It makes you tear up. It makes me tear up. I was like, what you doing? He was like, because I saw the sausage meat by itself, and you don't want to see the meat by itself. He goes like, what's the sausage? He's like, watch this, though. And put it between there, and he's like, "I look, you got, you do one. Crazy. Crunchy, then right down on top of the, uh, the, the sausage meat with the little, the spice. Crazy. The McDonald's hash brown is a breakfast champion. Can't be beat. Oh, man, that just, that warmed my heart. I, yeah. I'm going to try one of these before 2020 is up. Make it be a highlight of the year. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Two, two, two hash browns. All right. I even took it a little further later on in life and would get, I would go to McDonald's and be like, yo, could you just give me the sausage with cheese on it and like nothing? Because I don't even want the little leftover biscuit remnants on the top of it. Right. I want it to be a you clean You want a clean bite. piece of sausage. Right. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, actually just put it into one of the hash brown packages if you can, whatever. She's like, no, I just wrap them up, whatever. Put them in there. Boom. Take it, put it on there. Done. You're done. You're done. It's the best. Mm -hmm. You are not only the hero we need, but the hero we deserve. Um, (laughs) What else in this episode aged the best uh, for you? Unfortunately, recidivism. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) uh, uh, This is the episode where, you know, Cuddy falls back into the life. And it's because he really didn't have very many uh, chances beyond that. So. I thought that that age the best. It's still a problem that we're working on later, like at this particular time now. So, unfortunately, recidivism has aged really, really well. That's the only one I had, though. Uh, the the other thing too that aged really well. Uh, I don't know if you did this uh, in your your schooling days, but getting out of pocket at assemblies is like <laughs> oh, it aged perfectly. It yeah. ages perfectly. Like I remember when we 
when I was in high school and the few times that we were called into assemblies um, because we were such crafty children and clearly ahead of our time. Uh, we used to, we used to always have a chant that was going and this is around the time that two live crew was like major and right. they were certainly super popular in the D and everybody was all about Miami base. So all it took was for one person to go face down. Oh, and then it was, ass up. Right. That's the way <laughs> we like to fuck. Oh, Jesus. So that's we, would a be crazy saying, we would be saying that in the assembly. That's as, crazy. As, uh, you know, Joe Clark and them trying to like settle us down. We were like, face down. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. That is a good one. Actually, I had another one that aged the best. Uh, women let no good men back in. Oh, uh, you know I'm going off on this, man. You know I'm Donette, going off on this. Letting Stringer back in. Um, <laughs> as far as what age the worst, I know we come into that. Mm -hmm. I didn't really, I, I miss, I didn't really have too many what age the worst for this episode. So there was two that I, that I pinpointed. One okay. was lawnmowers. Did you ever have to mow the lawn with that kind of lawnmower that Cuddy was using? Ah, I did. Ah, I've had to mow the lawn before. I mowed my grandmother's grass. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, like I hate to, I mean, like I haven't done the grass or the lawn since then for my grandmother mm -hmm. she was the only one my mama didn't even make me do that shit my grandma didn't dig she didn't right. care you had to do the edges oh mm -hmm. jesus the edges Be and wacker, the yeah. the oh, all that and then that lawnmower you gotta prime that thing when well, he was like prime mm -hmm. that bitch three times i was like i done been there like it's right it's a very you know volatile cranky machine to work with so death to the lawnmower because that thing is terrible um and uh you alluded to this as one of the better scenes in this episode but the word tinkle Tinkle aged pretty poorly. It aged perfect. Was Tinkle ever in? I never used it. Yeah, even as a young young fella, I'm, assu I'm assuming you didn't. Like no, to me, I, I, PP probably came before Tinkle, right? It was, it was. I think it was PP in my house. <laughs> or we might have. I might have graduated right to piss. My father was a tough man. Boy, you got to piss. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. I'll ask him. I'll have an answer for you next podcast. All right. Um, when you you you. Gave me a perfect segue into it when you talked about aging the best is letting no good ass men back in your life, even though they proven they ain't shit. And Donette let down all of, uh, I mean, she honestly, I mean, she's a terrible person. So, like, <laughs> I, I can't say that I should be remotely surprised, right? So, just Stringer, you know, the fuckboy moment, of course, him sliding back in on Donette because she has gotten wind that, uh, or rather McNulty has come to her and say, by the way, D'Angelo wasn't a suicide. Somebody murked him, of yeah. which she happily gives this information up to Stringer, who is only there so he could control what she says and keep her quiet. And of course, talk about what age is the best. How does one keep her quiet when you're over six feet and you're horrendously good looking as Stringer Bell is? The best uh -huh. way to keep a woman quiet is to sex her down. And Donette oh. falls for it, of course. But it's just one of those tricks. While brilliant, I still hate his guts for it because he shouldn't be with her anyway. And then to pan off of them and go yeah. right to D'Angelo, just sitting there in that picture frame. I was like, Stringer, oh. you disgusting me. You just disgust me. Yeah, it's like D'Angelo was watching from the grave. Like, really, String? You know what I'm uh, saying? Like, dude, yeah. like, I mean, you, I get it. Also, revenge type of shit. You picked her up. 
you know, you 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 pseudo replaced him for a little while. You playing house with her just because you couldn't stand him, and you figured like even even in jail, I want to just have him in jail and be wondering who hitting it, and it's me. Like mm-hmm. it's like you know yeah. t- terrible. So then it go from that to like oh, then you come back in, and then you know this this little romance uh, ends with him suddenly trying to make some kind of level, making it some level of permanency with this woman, which I just like, both of y'all disgust me and could go straight to hell, as far as I'm concerned. Look, here's the only time where I'm going to admit that he did act like a fuckboy, but he was a fuckboy god. <laughs> he was a genius fuckboy. <laughs> knowing exactly oh, what he needed to do to slide back up in there. You go ahead and do your thing, Stringer, man. Although, I mean... Yeah, well, the, the efficiency, of, or not the efficiency, but the degree to which that works is another story that we will... It's another we, story. We, that we will find out. Um, so that gets us to our file this away for later moments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that definitely uh, Donetta, or Donette knowing that um, McNulty paying her a visit, uh, that isn't, that's still a, a thing. So uh, mm-hmm. certainly to pay attention to. And speaking of Stringer... Uh, at the beginning of this episode, we see him having a meal with Clay Davis and and Valchek's developer friend. Mm-hmm. Huge file this away for later. What else did you have on this account? Uh, when Kima is talking to one of the detectives in Homicide and they're talking about Marlo, they're talking about a witness that Marlo and them had killed. They say that Marlo killed this witness by shooting him or that Marlo, this witness was killed by getting shot twice in the chest and once in the mouth. There is another time that somebody is going to be killed by getting shot twice in the chest mm. and once in the mouth. And Avon is going to directly refer to it. Oh, and, that's uh, a, a great right, one. Right. Avon is going to directly refer to it. So that when I heard that, I had never caught that before. But when I heard that, Two in the chest, one in the mouth. That's a good one. To the, to the, to the, to the Stansfield organization. Um, also, I would say uh, Bunny's job offer with John Hopkins is definitely... Huge. It's a huge file this away uh, for later um, a moment. So, um, yeah, they give you some, some good nuggets. I mean, as always, at this portion of the wire, we, we, that, that the steam on the train is starting to to billow a little bit more. And mm-hmm. when this one, when this season goes downhill, as all the Wire fans know, it really goes downhill in a hurry. As for trivia, something I didn't get a chance to mention when we talked about Thomas J. Carchetti uh, uh, in the previous episode is that Carchetti is actually based on a real person, um, not by the same name, but based off somebody who is a politico in that area uh, and that would be former governor of Maryland, Martin O'Malley. That is who Carchetti is supposed to be. Um, he's somebody who I believe had a uh, he had a run um, as the 61st governor of Maryland from 2007 to 2015. Uh, based off what I've read, I, he was not flattered by the portrayal. <laughs> mm. Okay, and, you know, realize uh, we talked about this, I think, in season one 
is there was a lot of pushback from not just Baltimore officials about the wire, but also a lot of pushback from residents too. They didn't know how to feel about the city, how the series and how it portrayed its, its, its city, uh, which you could kind of understand because, you know, it, it is from that standpoint, a bit depressing for them. It's not like they show the revival of Baltimore. They show some right. pretty depressing parts of it and the systems that they exposed. Um, you know, it was, it was a harsh look in the mirror to say the least. So, um, but yes, uh, Carcetti is based off a real character. Um, now with that being said, Van, who won this episode? Real quick. Baltimore needs <laughs> like a show that like like the sunny side of Baltimore. You think so? Uh, probably because you think, like, you think they deserve it now at this point. You like they kind of deserve yeah, it after a all little this. bit. Like there's a lot of problems in Baltimore. We've talked about it. You know Freddie Gray, all of that stuff. And we're not going to stop dealing with uh, systemic inequality and racism and all these places. But you know, I went to Baltimore, and maybe they need to do a show that like. It takes place in the harbor, you know, because now one thing that The Wire was really good at, when you think about Baltimore now, to be honest with you, you think about only a couple of parts of Baltimore um, because The Wire has, The Wire is an incredibly powerful cultural. So I'm saying it's like, it was a, very important, but I don't disagree with the citizens that might feel like the city is being, although it's very truthful portrayal and you need it, maybe a little balance, you know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but you know, I mean, for this type of series, it was going to be hard, but I feel them. I, look, no, no, the, no, not this series, but, oh, like, you, not, but just in general, oh, you do yeah. another show, right? You do another show. You do like a living single set in Baltimore. You know what I mean? Something like that. Something okay. like that. All or right. bring back rock. Okay. Uh, who won? Who won? To me, I gotta give it to Bubbles, man. Like, uh, like he did, I give, man. I, I, I give it to Bubbles, man. Bubbles, Bubbles was just scoring left and right in this episode, giving us good anecdotes, chowing down on some hash browns, getting more money out of the deal, even while he was high. I give this episode Bubbles jump starts the investigation that's gonna take us through the rest of the season in this particular episode. So I say Bubbles won. Uh, Bubbles is a great choice just because uh, of everything that you said. And as always, if not for him, they wouldn't solve a damn thing around there uh, for right. sure. I'm going to say Carcetti won this episode. Um, Word up. Because uh, his decision to to seriously run for mayor and this alliance that he makes with the woman that used to be an old schoolmate of his mm -hmm. is the foundation of a very powerful beginning for him. Very and true. what I can appreciate about Carcetti, I don't always love the way that he does things, but he is genuine and he is real. And uh, I think the the beginnings of, of what he's starting to lay down here um, is something that, while rooted in self-interest, also has residual benefits for the way that things are done and run. I mean, he he does eventually kind of fall prey to some of the same abuses and same um, system breakdowns that previous ones have come before him. But him deciding that he was going to give them a, a, a full go and the smart way in which he did it, it's hard not to respect it, especially since as somebody who is white coming into this community, uh, even though he's a member of this community very much, so he's going to be facing an uphill battle. But the way he has operated up until this point lets you know that he is somebody that Mayor Royce is really going to have to reckon with. So I thought by stating, you know, that they say, name it and claim it. He named it and claimed mm -hmm. it. 
And now we are fully on our way. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. So that is going to do it uh, for episode four, season mm. three, Amsterdam. Uh, we'll be back to, of course, talk about episode five as we plow through Van's favorite season of The Wire. Yes! <laughs> He's still sticking to it, uh, but we still haven't even it. got to the meat of what Not we're yet. about to experience in season three. So um, after season four, that's when it's going to be some real debate. Real debate about what was the best season of The Wire. Uh, but in any way, we thank you guys for your support. Keep listening to us and keep watching The Wire. We'll see you next time. Peace.